Last week I changed uh, Trust and Obey a little bit, uh, that wonderful hymn, when I suggested that we replace Trust and Obey for There's No Other Way to Be Happy in Jesus with Trust and Obey for There's No Other Way to Shine Brightly as a Witness for the Glorious, Majestic, and Exalted Christ. Trust and Obey. We're looking at obedience. We looked at this passage last week. We'll come again to it uh, today. The Christian life is a life of repentance. It's a life of faith, and it is a life of obedience. And obedient Christians shine as witnesses to the glorious and majestic and exalted Christ. A mother had a rough go of it. The battle lines had already been drawn. I was out making a pastoral visit to one of our members in the hospital. And upon leaving, I noticed a mother and a little boy, her little son. And they were getting ready to exit the hospital as well. But the little boy, as soon as the door opened, shot out like a Roman candle going off, running into the parking lot. Now, that mother is not here today, nor is that mother a member of our church. But that mother began yelling and screaming and chasing that little boy. And the more she yelled and screamed, the harder that little guy ran, looking back, grinning the whole time as he's running out into the parking lot. We might say questionable parenting skills, but unquestioned disobedience and defiance. You know, the Christian life is messy. And there are times when, when that little boy pictures how we act before God, turning and running from him in disobedience, both in our actions, but we can turn and run from God in disobedience in our hearts as well. And so today we'll be looking at this dynamic, the Christian life being messy. We fail, we disobey, but yet the goal that God has set for us is that we would be children of God without blemish, that we would seek to be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. And so that's the goal that, to which Paul calls us in the passage that we will consider yet again today. And we see that goal reflected in the passage. So if you would take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Philippians 2, 12 through 18. And before I read this passage for us today, let us pray. God, our Father, as we turn now to your word, we pray for you, O God, the Holy Spirit, to strengthen our hearts that we might trust you to work very deeply in our hearts, conforming us to your word. And Father, I pray today that you would give us an even greater sense of, of our need to not turn and run, but to trust you. And as we trust you, Father, you give us everything that we need. 
you enable us, you empower us to obey. And there we find blessing. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be uh, proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It is perfect reviving the soul. And we trust God even this hour, to revive our souls as, as he ministers his word uh, to us. So we find an appeal in this uh, text of scripture, and the appeal really is summarized in Paul exhorting or commanding the Philippians to grow in obedience to the Lord. That's the appeal, but we're also looking at this appeal in terms of three aspects. And the first aspect we considered last week, work out. Work out your salvation, Paul says in verse 12, with fear and trembling. Now we understand salvation there as really referring to sanctification. We could, we could rephrase what Paul has said, work out your obedience, work out your sanctification continue to progress in growing in obedience. That's what he's meaning here in verse 12 by working out, working hard, striving to grow in obedience. And the motivator that causes us to really work hard to strive is the awe and reverence that accompanies being before the exalted Christ, what Paul has just said in verses 9 through 11 of chapter 2. And then we also looked at verse 13 last week where Paul encourages us that the only way that we can grow in obedience is by responding to God's work in us. God is working. He is enabling us with his grace. To obey. And so that's what Paul means when he says, work out, strive to obey, respond to God's enabling grace. Obedience really is a matter of faith. Trust and obey go together, but obedience flows out of saving faith and a growing faith. And so our theme today is life, the Christian life is repentance, faith, and obedience. But it's also a life, an obedient life that shines for Jesus. So we'll look at the the other two aspects to this appeal that Paul makes to live and to grow as an obedient Christian. 
Workout was the first one. The second, do all. And the third, be glad. We'll focus on do all and be glad today. Do all, verses 14 through 16. One of the ways that, that we run from God in disobedience, like, like that little boy ran from his mother at the hospital, is by grumbling, complaining, and disputing. That is, having an argumentative spirit. In verse 14, the Apostle Paul exhorted the Philippians to do all things. And he means by all things, which is a positive command, all those things that we are to do that are listed for us throughout the Scriptures to be obedient to God. Just think of all the things that we're called to do to be obedient to God. I'll just list a couple. One is the Ten Commandments. We are called even though we're not saved because we obey the Ten Commandments, but because we're saved, we want to obey the Ten Commandments. Another commandment that I'm, I'm happy to inform all of you of today that you have obeyed is the commandment, the teaching of Scripture, that God's people are together for corporate worship. And so you are here today out of obedience to what the Bible has commanded. Now the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 10, I think, lays the principle down for this, this biblical teaching on trust and obey, the call that we have to obey God out of a vital faith when he says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his, that is God's workmanship, created, saved in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. And you know, we've said this many times before, we're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. We're not saved by how well we do working out our salvation, how well we do growing in obedience. We are saved for the purpose of working out our salvation, for the purpose of doing those good works. And this is what Paul has said in verses 12 through 13. But notice that do all things is qualified. Do all things is qualified with a negative command. Do all things without grumbling, complaining, or disputing, argue, arguing. And Paul's use of this, this phrase, grumbling and complaining, causes us to look back at Israel's history. As Kevin said in his words before we read Numbers chapter 14, that here God had miraculously brought the, the nation of Israel out of bondage and slavery in Egypt through the miracle of the Red Sea parting and brought them to the wilderness and eventually to the foot of Mount Sinai and eventually... 40 years later, uh, well, actually, that same year at Sinai to the very borders of the promised land. And you would think after all of that, the people would go, God is trustworthy, but they didn't exactly think that. What did they do? Exodus 15, Exodus 16, Exodus 17, and Numbers 14 that Kevin read all detail Israel's history after God has done all of these mighty works, they grumbled. They complained, they argued with Moses, they argued with God. 
Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in this wilderness? Well, one principle that I see here is that it's not enough to outwardly conform in obedience. Our hearts need to be right before God. And complaining and arguing are signs that our hearts are not right with God. In fact, they indicate that we are not trusting God. We're not trusting Him. We're not trusting His will. We're not trusting His ways. We're not trusting His purposes. We're not trusting Him. We think we know better. For example, as I said, we should be happy, pleased, that we have all obeyed God by coming to worship this morning. But I'm just curious, was there any complaining going on back at home, especially on Mother's Day, I deserve to have a day off and to stay in bed. I wonder if there was any arguing going on about the many reasons why we should skip church today and stay home or go do something else. Do you kind of get the point that if indeed this morning you complained about coming to church or I complained about having to preach if we we tried to come up with a slick argument to somehow give us a good reason not to come to church this morning we really need to ask the question what is going on in my heart and I would suggest one word answer unbelief a lack of love and faith in God. Like the little boy running from his mother, we can be defiant in our hearts while doing outwardly what looks like obedience, but our hearts are defiant before God. Christian life is messy. We need to understand that. Verse 15a gives us the goal, the goal of this exhortation, the goal of of this appeal. We are to do all things in progressing in obedience that we might be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. Wait just a minute. That, That sure sounds like the goal is for me to do enough to be perfect. That's what it sounds like. So on the one hand... We need to understand that we will never, ever reach this goal of being blameless and innocent children of God without blemish as we live on this earth. We'll never reach it. We will never be entirely sanctified. We will never be perfect. We will always have blemishes. But Paul is saying here, strive for it, work at it, endeavor towards that great goal. This was his point in verses 12 through 13. 
Sanctification is what we're talking about here, and it's a process in which God works and we cooperate, but it will never be completed in this life. That's the teaching of Scripture. On the other hand, we are accepted today in heaven as having already accomplished the goal of being blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. And you might ask, how can that be? It's because of Jesus. When one is united to Jesus Christ in saving faith, through that faith, God acts and declares that person justified. And what he declares in justification is that person is pardoned from the guilt of sin because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ applied to him. And secondly, that person is accepted righteous in my sight only for the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to them. In other words, today in the courtroom of heaven, each one of us here today that have been united to Christ in saving faith are accepted with the perfect record of Christ justified covered by the atoning blood of Christ, pardoned. We are righteous in Christ. We are pardoned from the guilt of sin in Christ. It's all the merit of Christ. So do you see the Christian life? On the one hand, there's this goal, but I'll never accomplish it, but I'm to strive for it. I'm to work hard at being more and more today what I'm already considered to be and accepted to be in heaven And yet at the same time, in heaven, I am justified solely upon the merits of Jesus Christ through the gift of faith. One way to understand the relationship between justification and sanctification, because that's what we're talking about here, is the way Augustus Toplady described it in that great hymn that we all know, Rock of Ages. And the second part of the first stanza has this line, Be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. Well, what is the double cure? I believe the double cure here is justification and sanctification. Let me explain it this way. As we're about the business of striving to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, to grow in obedience to cooperate with God in sanctification. It's all saying the same thing. As we're striving to do that, as we're working hard to do that uh, very thing, that we might more and more strive to be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, we're going to come up short. But justification covers us. A right understanding of justification assures us of our standing before God, even though inherently I'm not righteous, but because of Christ's righteousness imputed to me, I am accepted as righteous. Therefore, even when we fail, that that reality of justification lifts us up from despair. Our sin does not make us less justified. Because our justification is not based on our performance, it's based on Christ. And that's a great comfort. 
But as you know, and I'm sure you've experienced this, some of us, most of us here have actually succeeded in cooperating with God in, in sanctification. In other words, maybe one, at one moment or one particular day, we've been particularly good, <laughs> particularly obedient. And we think, oh my, isn't God happy to have me as his child because I'm so obedient. I'm not like that little boy running from his mother at the hospital. No, no, no. I'm staying with God. We have times like that, and that's good. But yet we can very easily develop a spiritual pride that tempts us to say, hey, you know what? I can do this Christian life in my own strength. And quite frankly, that's a very dangerous place to be and so what we need to understand is that even when I'm particularly being an obedient child of God, that I'm no more justified than I already am. Because our justification is not based on our bad performance or our good performance. It's based on Christ. And so justification, when we look at sanctification as we're, as we're working to, to be more like we already are, considered to be in in heaven, we're going to have successes and failures, but justification is the great leveler. It brings us up from despair. It brings us down from uh, pride. And then in verse 15b, it's the latter part of verse 15, Paul gives us great encouragement that God's people are in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, and then he says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And, and this descriptor of being amongst a crooked and twisted generation comes from Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 5. That wilderness generation of Israel is described as having blemishes and being crooked and twisted as a generation. And Paul is using it here to describe the world in which we live. Sanctification is a messy business. We do succeed in growing in obedience, but we also fail. Many sins can hinder our progress in sanctification. Many sins can trip us up in trying to grow in obedience. And when we sin, our witness of Christ and culture is hindered. But the sins of complaining and arguing must be close to the top of the list that hinder our witness in the world. Last week I mentioned that early on in my ministry here, I took the youth with some other chaperones to the Ozark Mountains for a retreat and one night I was sitting there under the starry sky unhindered by city lights no no light pollution and just see how beautiful the starry hosts were it was just fantastic but yet like light pollution in the city that that hinders the the full appearance of the night sky so grumbling and arguing are sins that diminish our little light shining as witnesses for Christ in this world we complain we argue 
And too often we align ourselves with this twisted, crooked world. We need to repent, not just of the outward actions, but remember grumbling and complaining are simply signs of something being twisted in our hearts. And we need to repent of our heart attitude. But here's the encouragement. Given the messiness of sanctification, given our tendency to grumble and complain, I was just grumbling about something the other day with Renee. Not about Renee. It was about something else. We're so prone to grumble. We're so prone to complain. But given that, we are shining as witnesses with a glorious, majestic, and exalted Christ in this culture. And you know what's amazing? That even when we mess up and we repent, a repentance Christian's little light shines brighter. I think I've learned more about the Christian life through mistakes, and I think the glory of Jesus shines bright in the lives of his people when they acknowledge sin, they confess it, and they repent. That's the encouragement. Then in verse 16, the main way we shine is to hold fast the word of life. Some scholars translate this as hold forth, meaning that we shine because we're evangelistic, that we tell others about Jesus, and that may be part of it, but I think the, the, the simplest reading of the text, it includes that, but likely is more that I, I hold forth, not so much holding forth the world, but I hold fast the word, I hold to the word, I embrace the word, I believe in it, and I embrace the word, I live by it. See, we can believe in the word without living by it. We can believe it is true without living by it, but I think this is referring to both. I believe it's true, and I live by it by God's grace. It is the rule of my life. And Paul ends verse 16 with an eschatological note that that his pride for the Philippians is not so much that he himself is being prideful. I think it's best understood and God working through Paul, laboring for the Philippians, and they will make it, like we sang in 10,000 times 10,000, um, to heaven. And Paul's not so much boasting in himself. He's not all boasting in himself, but he's boasting in Christ and the power and the work of the gospel. Paul's labor, not ours, uh, Paul's labor nor ours will be in vain in the end because it's not by our effort but it's by God's faithful work it's by God fulfilling his promises made to us in Christ thus we have every reason Paul says to be joyful as we are working out our own salvation as we are encouraging one another to work out our own salvation So our progress in obedience, sanctification, and the progress of others is cause for joy. Then in verse 17, Paul really turns to this this idea of being glad, rejoicing in the work of the gospel. 
when he speaks of being poured out as a drink offering. Interestingly, in the Old Testament, as well as in the Greco-Roman culture, wine was often poured out as an offering. Sometimes it was done as a, as a solo act of sacrifice. Wine would be poured out. Other times it was joined to another sacrifice, and, and that wine would be part of a bigger sacrifice, maybe where an animal was offered, and the wine would be poured either on the ground or on the sides of the altar. But what it pictures is an act of service to God. What Paul is saying that I am being poured out as a drink offering is that his life is in service to God. And we can say that the Apostle Paul epitomizes a life that is poured out in service to God. And a life poured out in service to God is cause for rejoicing. Paul says, be glad even if I give my life for you. It is in service to God. It is for your spiritual well-being. So I want to bring just this message to a close by, by reminding us of a saying. And this is becoming more important to me as I age. Uh, I would rather wear out than rust out. Is that true? And what the Apostle Paul shows us here is that the Christian life is to be one where we do not rust out, but it is to be a life where we are poured out for the sake of the gospel. We might even say we should be working so hard in progressing in sanctification, in growing in obedience, that it is if our whole life is being poured out that we risk actual burnout. And this is how we're to live as justified saints, progressively being sanctified. We're, we are to respond to God's work in us by getting on with striving to such an extent that it is our lives being poured out, burning out for the sake of the goal. And what we will find is that as we strive to work out, even burn out here on earth, that is for the purpose of our light shining brightly in heaven. May we burn out, may we live as those poured out, striving for that goal, knowing we'll never realize it here on earth, but that will describe us in heaven. And what this encouragement is for us today is simply this. A proper understanding of sanctification and justification leads us to this. I need to be given. I need to pour myself out, becoming more and more today what I'm already considered to be in heaven, a blameless, innocent child of God without blemish. Let us pray.
Our Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have provided for us in every way. You provide for us the power that we need to work out our own salvation, our sanctification, our growing in obedience. We thank you, Father, that though we will never entirely be sanctified while we are here on earth, but yet we will be your blameless, innocent children without blemish in heaven. And I pray that we would strive today to be what we already accepted to be in heaven. Give us the grace, give us the power, give us the repentance. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.